up, everybody? Welcome. Oh, it's Tuesday. That means it's the Brady Quinn Football Show. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Will Brinson. This is the Pick 6 Podcast, Tuesday edition featuring Brady Quinn, who you just heard. And it's an emergency podcast edition because it's actually the Monday edition, the second Monday edition of this show, um, thanks to the Cleveland Browns. Axe and everybody in the, in sight, uh, Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley fired. We'll get to all of that. Um, just as an FYI, Brady and I recorded this advance, in advance. If something happened on Monday Night Football, we'll have a set, you know, if the Bills managed to beat the Patriots, you will have another podcast waiting for you. Otherwise, this is us covering all the big news, including Brady, the fact that a man with a .088 winning percentage could get fired from his job. <laughs> <laughs> is it really that surprising to you? I think it, it wasn't a matter of if; it was just a matter of when. No, I, I look. I don't think there's um, there's nothing surprising about Hugh Jackson being fired. I, I've been saying, and I said this on the Monday on the, on the on the Sunday recap show, that I think that this is a bit. This season has been a perfect storm for John Dorsey in that he's able to look. He was able to look at this team, go to Jimmy Haslam, the owner of the Browns, and say, "Hey, look." These guys are close. Like these guys are keeping the. You know, we I got the talent there to keep the game close. The problem is this coach isn't very good, and I know you like him, but we need to get rid of him. And I and I also think Brady that there is something to all the drama between Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson that ultimately becomes a, a dysfunctional disaster, especially when you have a young quarterback like Baker Mayfield there. Yeah. Um, so look, I'll, I'll just start off by saying this. I think the first thing that was surprising about this is, you know, we saw the rift in hard knocks and whether or not that was editing, whether or not that was just created to, to sensationalize and make, you know, a protagonist and antagonist in this, in this storyline that is hard knocks. It seemed like some of it was real and some of it was going to exist throughout the course of the year. And as the press conferences ensued and as we got little tea leaves here and there, it seemed like it was real. And so it gave you the impression that, all right, uh, if one's going to go, it's going to be Hugh because of the win-loss record and, and his, his track record since being in Cleveland. Uh, and, and Todd Haley you know, has, has been a former head coach. It would make sense he would be elevated to be the interim head coach. Uh, and plus, they have improved a little bit this year under Todd Haley as the OC. So um, you would think all those things added up to, to at least to one of them going, but if one of them had to go, it would probably be Hugh first before Todd Haley. The fact that both of them go, like, that's just it's so Cleveland Browns football to me, baby. Like, <laughs> like the fact that you get both of the coaches are out. Uh, now you're going to get Freddie Kitchens, who is going to be the, the interim offensive coordinator. Greg Williams will be the interim head coach. Uh, it is, is a bit surprising. And the only reason I say it's surprising is because if, if you look at some of the reactions and the responses that teams typically make when there's dysfunction or when there's turmoil, you're looking at the past. Now, Greg Williams does have – you know, a history as being a leader of a football team, but you know he also was uh, part of Bounty Gate. So I was a bit surprised that they decided to let go of Todd Haley as well. So it makes you dig a little bit deeper and think, who really made this decision? Was it the Haslam's, or was it John Dorsey? And that, and that's what I'm trying to figure out because uh, if it's the Haslam's, I, I've got a kind of completely different thoughts on all this. Mm. But I still have some questions too if it's John Dorsey because you know to sit there and say that. Hugh Jackson and John Dorsey uh, probably weren't going to get along because it wasn't really, you know, Hugh Jackson wasn't John Dorsey's hire. Um, that was a given. But Todd Haley, you know, was hired after John Dorsey. And you, I'm sure there was some, at some point, John Dorsey was asked what he thought of Todd Haley. Does he mind him bringing it on? I don't think this was just solely Hugh Jackson's decision, nor do I think it was solely uh, the decision of the Haslam family as well. So given that that's the case, it's just surprising that you would already make the decision that halfway through the season – this guy needs to go, 
uh, with Hugh Jackson out the door. Like that, that's the thing that I think catches me the most off guard. Is it possible that it was sort like John Dorsey goes to the Haslam says, look guys, I, you know, I know you like Hugh. I know you really do. I want to give him a chance for the rest of the season too, but this thing is becoming toxic. I, we got to fire him. And then the Haslams are like, that's fine. But you need to fire Todd Haley too, because he's, I mean, I think like there was, there was so much clear infighting. You know, you could see it if you just read the, you know, if you've been, if you've been, I mean, you've been around this game long enough. I mean, I've been, I've been covering the the NFL long enough that, I mean, it's easy to read the tea leaves on this stuff. When you see different outlets reporting different things, you can see how the clash is coming in. Like, you know, some outlets are saying Todd Haley might be fired and some are saying Hugh Jackson might be fired. I mean, it's pretty, you you don't want to. and do you want to know why that is? It's because each one of those coaches is leaking it out. And that's exactly right. Yeah. Like I don't want to. I don't want to. You don't have to insinuate it. I think we know that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, well, I don't want to source guess on anybody in particular. I just, I, you know, there's just some, you know, certain outlets. You're like, yes, I mean, that guy is sort of cozy with this guy. We, yeah, we, we, like maybe I've seen him out and about with that coach. <laughs> right. uh, maybe maybe yeah. they posted some stuff on social media. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> we're connecting the dots. Will Brinson connecting the dots. Well, what the, you do, buddy. Well, look, I mean, Mike, Mike Silver and, and Hugh Jackson post pictures. On social media, like, oh, look at no Bert. way, those two are close. I've <laughs> yeah. never seen those two hang out together. Weird. So <laughs> yeah, weird. I, I, I mean, look, Mike Silver was on NFL Network reporting on. It. Mike Silver's a legend in, in this business. Has been written a million great articles, but he is tight with Hugh Jackson. When you hear that stuff coming out, it's clear that people were fighting for their jobs through the media. And so, I almost wonder if the like the toxicity level of all this. Was it like somebody, whether it was Dorsey or Haslam or whoever it was, was like, we just got to wash our hands of all of this. Of course, yeah. to then, then to come out and to like, well, be like, Greg Williams is in charge is a very weird thing. No, I, I, look, I like it. First off, Greg Williams is the type of guy that has the demeanor to bring that grit, to bring that edge that I think, you know, the, the Cleveland Browns uh, team needs. And on top of it, look, the, the backbone of this team is the defense, not the offense. This defensive team is talented. I think they've done a good job. They've kept them in games. Uh, so that, that's where it kind of makes sense to me as far as how Greg Williams handles things. I mean, look, the likelihood of him being the full-time head coach is, is unlikely. It's probably, um, you know, not going to – it wouldn't last anyway even if it was. How many interim head coaches end up turning into the head coach and then end up being the guy for the long haul? It typically doesn't work out that way. So um, that, this is just for the rest of this year. We'll see how things continue. But you feel for Baker Mayfield. You feel for all the other rookies and young players in this team because they've already dealt with change – now they're dealing with more of it. It makes their job harder. I always tell people learning a new offense is like speaking a new language. So imagine trying to walk into work one day, and if you don't know Spanish, trying to learn it over the course of four or five months and then all of a sudden perform your job at the highest level in your industry. Okay, Good luck doing that year one. Year two, probably better. Year three, that's when you should be speaking fluent and you should be a rock star. But it's tough to do in, in the first year, just one offseason going through an offense. So um, that's what that's what the uphill battle is for Baker Mayfield. It's been the case for so many of the Cleveland Brown quarterbacks. I think the the reason why I have optimism is is twofold. For starters, he's got as much talent around Baker Mayfield now as ever, and defensively too. So the team's at a good point. And I think John Dorsey, I trust him as a talent evaluator, and I yep. trust him if they're going to lean on him, meaning them, the Haslam's, to make some of these decisions moving forward. Which is what brings me to the next point. So since Jimmy Haslam took over, which we took over in what, 2012, is that farewell? I believe that is correct. And I, I can tell you that when he took over, Brady, he said, I'm fired up to the max. And I saw his press conference, and I thought he'd be a good owner, and he has been a terrible owner. 
He has been a terrible owner. And again, a lot of ownership, which by the way, can I just say this though? He did help save the Columbus crew, which is the MLS soccer team there in Columbus, Ohio. I thought it was a tremendous gesture. Maybe he can help save the Cavs as well as they just fired Tyron. By, 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 right now, so. by the way, uh, almost, almost, uh, almost, uh, six years to the day, October 25th, 2012, they finalized the sale of the, uh, the well, there, you there you go. Well, look at that. How eerie is this? But anyway, Lake so Erie? the point is, Lake Erie? Lake Erie is how eerie this is. Um, the point is talking about red tide and all that toxicity around there. Maybe Lake Erie needs to be tested. And anyway, um, the Haslums, you know, they just continually churn through coaches. And so, like, for example, we, I talked to Tony Grossi earlier today. He's a beat reporter up there in Cleveland. And he had said that the, the structure between Hugh Jackson and John Dorsey was really were there on separate sides, and the decision to hire Todd Haley was more from the Haslums. Uh, Hugh Jackson with the Haslums as well. And, and so my thought is not only are you firing another head coach, which, like, you're on to your fifth head coach now, I think, since they've taken over in 2012, but you also just fired an offensive coordinator that you supposedly hired. At some point, at some point, if you're the owner of a football team and things aren't going well, maybe you need to look in the mirror and say, well, wait, who's hiring all these guys? Oh, I am? Oh, oh my gosh. Maybe I don't have a good judge of character or what's a good football coach, and I need to step out of this situation and, and, and make someone else in charge for these hires. And that's where John Dorsey comes to play. Maybe the Browns and the Haslam's in particular, maybe just need to let John Dorsey hire the next head coach of the Cleveland Browns, see how things go, give him more than two years for the love of God, and, and see if they can make this team into something to compete in the AFC North, which is arguably one of the top, toughest divisions year in, year out in the AFC, which no one wants to recognize as another reason why it's hard for this Browns team to have you know a winning record, a 500 record for that matter. Yeah, uh, Pat Shermer was in charge in 2012 when they took over. Has since become the Giants head coach. Rob Chichinsky, fired him. Fired him. Rob, Ch- Rob Chichinsky was there for one year. Fired him. Uh, Mike yep. Pettin was there for uh, two years. Fired him. Fired him. And then Hugh Jackson took over after Mike Pettin. Wikipedia actually lists as the 20th head coach in Cleveland Browns history one Baker Mayfield. So that's exciting for Baker. Um, Greg Williams is actually the interim head coach, so he will he will take on that list. But then uh, the other guy who who got promoted out of this, and I, I got a couple more questions about this Browns thing. Freddie Kitchens, and you might the answer might be no, but do you know anything about him insofar as a um, a coach and and how he might approach being the OC and and it, it, and what would you do if you're Freddie Kitchens and you're trying to because this is a pretty good opportunity to show yourself in terms of what you can do with a rookie quarterback, right? Sure. Um, I've got some questions. I mean, Ken Zampezi was formerly offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals before he came over to be the quarterback coach of the Browns. Yeah, that's so weird. That would have made a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, Al Saunders, who has a world of experience uh, calling plays in the NFL, he's on that staff. That would have made a lot of sense. Freddie Kitchens might have been my third choice if I had to make one. So uh, a bit surprised by the decision. He did hold the assistant head coach title, I believe, maybe like the running backs coach as well. So um, you know, it, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what things they change. I don't know that I always came away saying, man, this offensive system doesn't work or they should have done this better. Um, I think their tackles got exposed a bit last week in particular versus the Steelers, which tend to happen versus them. I mean, that's one of the strengths of their defense, uh, especially with a guy like T.J. Watt. If you don't have good tackles, if you don't have you know, Hall of Famer like Joe Thomas, uh, you're, you're going to have some issues. So I think that got exposed. Look, I think what's getting exposed is the books out on Baker Mayfield. He's played long enough to now look like a rookie. You know, he's, he's turned the ball over a number of times, and I think what he's going to have to start doing is playing from the pocket better. 
He's got to stop thinking that he's always going to be able to make that spectacular play where he runs around or avoids a bunch of stuff and then throws downfield. He almost feels more comfortable that way, but that's not how you win in the NFL, and it sure as heck not, isn't how you preserve yourself. So that's, that's the next step that he's got to take. Whether Freddie Kitchens can help him do that or not the rest of the season, uh, it'll be interesting to see because I can tell you this much. Here's what every player is thinking walking, there, walking in there today. They've been told on their way when they, either they were drafted by the Browns or signed with the Browns that this place is chaotic, it's dysfunctional, just wait and you'll see. And, and through the tough times the past couple of years, they might have said to themselves, you know, hey, look, they're sticking with our coach. Hugh Jackson's a good player's coach. He's a good guy to talk to, blah, blah, blah. Um, it, it doesn't seem like this is the chaotic place they saw. Well, guess what? It is now. <laughs> and that's where that, – now they're getting a real dose of reality of what adversity is like at the professional football level – what it's been like to be a Browns player, and how hard it is to deal with the change and the fact that all these coaches, you could say they're, they're focused on the here and now and what they're doing week to week from here on out. Most of these guys will be somewhere else after this year. So they're going to be looking for another job. And so as much as their focus is on trying to you know, showcase themselves for the last you know, eight games of the season, they're also trying to put food on the table in the future for their families. So they're going to be making some calls, too, during the, the wee hours of the night looking for that next job. It, it, like. I think it gets lost sometimes when you when you didn't play professional football and and you I mean you know this as well as anybody Brady because you were drafted by Cleveland and you played on some teams that were not entirely functional right I mean like it gets lost just how big a zoo it is when this like when the reality of a bad season sets in doesn't it? I mean like the, like the, like the Browns you know you do hard knocks you're 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 setting up you're like ah oh, this could be an incredible year you know we're gonna surprise some people people are writing about the Browns making the playoffs and then week eight and everybody's getting fired. The, like this is where things can really slide out of control, right? Uh, big time. And because at, at this point in the season, as a player, you're looking at the coach that's if, – if you don't already like him, yeah. now there's not really much reason to like him or listen to him because he's probably not going to be there next year. And when times get tough and adversity sets in, um, you're probably looking at some of the other guys in the roster, especially if you're with some of the paid guys or the better players, thinking these guys aren't going to be here next year. What people don't realize is – and they probably haven't experienced this because in the real world, it's really hard to fire people. You know where it's not hard to fire people? Professional sports, in particular the NFL. Because what happens is the next head coach comes in, and he'll say, this guy doesn't fit my scheme. I don't like what this guy does. This guy doesn't use the technique that we use. And at this point, he's an older player, so we've got to move on because we can probably draft a guy who we can teach to do it better than he can. And that's what happens. At least a third of your roster turns over, maybe half, just in a year's time. And then you're working on chemistry with that group, changing over that group, and changing the way the, the remaining guys are there, their technique and their fundamentals. And it becomes extremely hard to win in that next year of transition and all that. So what, what happens is you basically get a bunch of guys for the rest of the season. We'll play together maybe for a little bit, but once they come to the realization that things aren't going to go well, um, that's, that's when you start to kind of see that this team start to fracture, and that's where you start to see this team – probably end up as one of the, the top five teams drafting next year, maybe uh, higher than that. Maybe it's you know safe to say top four, top three uh, with the way the rest of the season could go. Browns have the Chiefs this coming week, 
And then the Falcons, both games are at home. Then they're week 11 bye. Then they have four of six to close out on the road, um, including two games against the Bengals, uh, one at the Ravens, one at the Broncos, Panthers at home, at the Texans. Hmm. Only one. Terrible, of... terrible defenses there too, by the way. I mean, oh my not God. Like any pressure going on there. Yeah, uh, so if you look at that, the only two teams below 500 there are the Falcons and the Broncos. The Browns are in, in deep trouble, and it is not going to get easier for this team. I, I would expect you see like a, a dead cat bounce back against the Chiefs maybe, and then and then, and then then something very bad down the stretch. Okay, a dead cat bounce back? What? Do you think they're going to actually be able to compete with that team? No, probably not. No. Okay. I was going to say, I, I, maybe for a half, not, not for an entire game. I mean, this – it would be that might be the most shocking thing to happen in the NFL this season if the Browns found a way to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, granted, I look, they've already lost the game, but that was in Foxborough in a shootout where you just gave Tom Brady the football at the end of the game. Like you could you could predict that outcome. This would be an absolute shocker if that was the case. If they if they beat the Chiefs, NFL Films better have a mic on Greg Williams the whole effing time because yeah. that would be an epic, uh, epic uh, live video to go back and play on. All right, so people are also wondering, of course, who will the next Browns head coach be? And you actually texted me about doing this podcast uh, while I was on a radio spot, so I couldn't read it right away. And I was a hundred percent sure that you had seen the article I wrote with a list of candidates, and you were texting me to mock me for my potential choices because you like. No, to- it's so obvious, right? Everyone's gonna say Lincoln Riley. Let's just get that. Okay, out well, of the let's. Way, right? Yeah, well, but like, I mean, like you. You cover a lot of these Big 12 games yeah. for Fox as a broadcaster. Okay, one, would Lincoln Riley leave? And two, if he would, would he be a good fit? Okay, so one, would Lincoln Riley leave? Maybe. And the reason I say maybe is because just because he's going to be reunited with Baker Mayfield doesn't mean it's a shoe in for him. Oklahoma can pay him well. He's got a really nice job that he just got. He's a young head coach in college football, probably feels fortunate to be in the position that he's in. Um, so I don't know that it's a shoe and that he would leave for that job unless they just compensated more so um, than, than any ownership group uh, has for a former Browns head coach. And maybe they're willing to do that, even though they got to pay off all these, you know, former head coaches and coaching staffs and GMs that they probably still owe money to uh, from a few years ago. Seven different so, coaching staffs. <laughs> right. Seven different coaching staffs at this point. So that's one reason why I think there's a chance, but maybe not. Uh, again, the reunion with Baker Mayfield might not be enough. The other thing is, what happens if there's a job like the Dallas Cowboys open? You don't think that they wouldn't love to have a young mind like Lincoln Riley over um, you know, the, the Cleveland Browns? Mm. So not only one can they make a competitive offer, I think they have more stability to offer. I mean, Dude. Jared Jones is just going to say, look how much patience we gave Jason Garrett. You know, Look at what we currently have on this roster and – Granted, it's not a great financial situation, but we can help build that over time because we can give you maybe not a John Gruden-esque type deal, but something close to it. So, you know, Dallas could be competition depending on how they finish out this year, and I would imagine that's really attractive for a guy like Lincoln Riley. And then there's just the fact that, again, going back to Oklahoma being able to, um, you know, stick where he's at, have a lot of success. I mean, they're by far and away the best team in the Big 12, in my opinion. Even though they lost to Texas, I, I would be shocked if those two didn't play again the Big 12 championship game, and, and Oklahoma didn't win that. But, you know, that's where you might be saying to yourself, look, you know, may, maybe I don't need to roll and, and go test my chances at the next level. That'll always be there for me because I'm young and I, I'm going to be successful here. So let's not rush that now. Uh, but he's the first guy you can kind of mark off or check off the box as far as who they'd talk to or who they'd want to potentially interview for that position. Okay, so let me ask this. Is 
Cleveland is Dallas definitely a better job than Cleveland? Yeah. And, and are okay. You definitely yes. think okay. You would rather coach There's, Dallas. It's not even close. The resources that you have based on your ownership. I mean, it's the most uh, expensive franchise in all professional sports. The patience that they've shown. I mean, again, how many coaches now were on were on their fifth head coach? interim head coach title, but still under Jimmy Haslam. Like, what would make you think that if you can't turn around in three years that they're not going to fire you too? When, when, so, Jay, when Jason Garrett was hired by the Cowboys, uh, you were on the Browns. Yeah. That's how long, like, I, mean, I mean, like, that's how long Jason Garrett's been at the Cowboys. 2010. It's, and it's, it's, so think about that. Well, I was on the Broncos that year. Oh, you were on the anyway, Broncos. Sorry, uh, my bad. Yeah. So, but, it, but, it, but it, the point is, it's been a while, right? They've run yeah. through however many head coaches since then, probably six at that point. Because uh, Mangini came in 2009, he was fired in 2010, and then they brought in Pat Shermer after that. So, um, that, I mean, they, they continually run through coaches. There's just not a lot of stability. I think the other names you need to take into consideration, again, young offensive minds, because that's the trend. It's a copycat league. And I'm sure the Haslams are saying, look, let's go find a guy like Matt Nagy, who they paired in Chicago with Mitchell Trubisky or Sean McVay and Jared Goff in L.A., so let's go find the Mike Groves, who's the OC now at the Philadelphia Eagles, mm. or Pete Carmichael, who's the you know OC down there who's been sitting behind Sean Payton and working with Drew Brees uh, in New Orleans, or Matt uh, LaFleur, who's now with the Tennessee Titans. Maybe that's a tougher sell only because of how the Titans' offense has looked this year, but now I don't know if that's an indictment on him so much. I mean, he was formerly with Sean McVay. I'm sure he's got uh, some of that in his system. Uh, or a guy like Josh McDaniels, who's from the area. He's a great offensive mind. I'm sure there's part of them that would love to take that opportunity to work with a guy like Baker Mayfield. So those are like the four that I like say young-ish type coaches that would make sense. Obviously, LaFleur is a lot younger than, um, you know, Groh and, and, and Pete Carmichael. Uh, but, but the question is, with three of the four, those guys haven't been head coaches before. Right. So how's that going to work out? For Josh McDaniels, it, it, you know, it didn't work out the way he wanted to in Denver. Uh, and, and so are they going to be reluctant for that reason because of the, the previous history? So that, that's where it's a double-edged sword, but those are probably you know four names that I think will be thrown out there and will be looked at. Uh, i got a couple of names for you as well. Uh, what about John DeFilippo, who has, as you pointed out on this very podcast last week, has done a great job calling plays with Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings since leaving Philly as the, as the uh, quarterback's coach and then jumping to the offensive coordinator position in Minnesota. The one downside is he's already been to Cleveland, so he may not want to go back. Yeah, that's, uh, that's one thought and scenario, I believe, is the quarterback coach. Uh, during his time, and was that with the Pat Shermer I, regime? I think was he was. With, I think he was the Pat. OC, but I will tell you in uh, thirty seconds. I, I mean, he was. I think it was two thousand fourteen, and he was the yes offensive coordinator in two thousand and fifteen for the Cleveland for the Cleveland Browns. So not that lo- not you know. I mean, like he's yeah. seen the the Haslam regime. He, <laughs> he might see it firsthand. So yeah, look, is he a guy you're going to bring in an interview? Of course. Does he want to take that job? I don't know. Again, yeah. he might be a name that's up for some other jobs. Uh, because of one his track record now with how they've looked with Minnesota this year, I think he's done a great job. Uh, he's been around enough teams and leagues to know he's got some family history dating back where a lot of people know him and I think can, can trust him. So he'd be another name you could throw out there. I'm kind of curious to see who else you have on the list. Uh, also on the list, and this is from Jason Lockenfora, CBS Sports NFL Insider, and then I heard Steve Weish, the venerable Steve Weish of NFL Network, mention it as well. Just as a possibility, Mike McCarthy. If things didn't work out well uh, for for the Packers this year, and maybe they miss the playoffs or or have an ugly regular season, close out not very strong, lose in the first round, maybe maybe they part ways and he joins his old buddy John Dorsey in Cleveland. 
Maybe I'd want to take a year off almost if that was the case. I mean, you're like you go from a Packers organization where things move really, really slow because of the ownership structure there and just yeah. how they generally operate to a team like the Browns where <laughs> it's chaotic, things move really, really fast. I mean, look, ultimately, I think whoever's going to look at that job, if they're a current head coach that gets fired or, um, you know, I don't even know what other scenario you could play out where they would want to go to the Cleveland Browns, but you know, you'd have to make a huge offer, like a John Gruden 10-year, $100 million offer, where I think it would be a no-brainer. And I just don't think the Haslam's want to do that. And I don't foresee many other organizations wanting to do that. Okay. Uh, then this name probably won't work either. What about Jim Harbaugh? Yeah, no. I mean, I, I, I just, again, same thing. I don't, I don't see him leaving for that opportunity. I mean, if he wasn't going to leave to maybe test the waters with Indy with one of his former quarterbacks and sure. what is somewhat of a very winnable division year in and year out with the inconsistency in the AFC South, I, I can't see him wanting to leave Michigan, especially on the cusp of what could be a national championship run. I mean, look, this is the team that's atop the Big Ten East. They're, they're undefeated in the Big Ten play. They, they're going to have Ohio State at the end of the year to prove themselves to get in the college football playoff spot. And I think if they beat Ohio State and they end up a, a one-loss team that only lost coming to Notre Dame, I think they're playing for it. So I, I don't know why he would jump ship when they've got that thing rolling and is maybe a, as good of a point as it's ever been. Uh, heading into 2019. It, just, it wouldn't make a lot of sense to me. No, that, that's fair. My counterpoint would be that if he loses to Ohio State, that, that the same people who spent the preseason going, oh, can Jim Harbaugh beat the good teams? Can he win the big one? I mean, like those people are going to start to pop back up if he loses to this Ohio State team and it cost him a shot at the playoff, right? He, he strikes me as the type of guy though, that wants to like, be there until they can they prove them wrong. Like If they're going to keep mm. giving him opportunities – and I think he's going to stay there until he does it, and then he want to bounce after that. Like he strikes me as more of that type. But he also he's like never been anywhere longer than four years because he's, and I mean this in a complimentary way to Jim Harbaugh, who I think is awesome, a psychopath. Well, they, <laughs> but they love that about him. Yeah, sure. When you go to Michigan, like he is a Michigan man, and yeah. so they accept him for everything, good and bad, that comes along with that. Whereas an organization, I think that can get wearing, and it's a little bit different too when. These owners are making so much darn money where if they want to move on from you after a mediocre or a bad season, they can do so. It's a little bit different in the college football realm to move on and then find someone, at, especially at a school like Michigan, that you can hang your hat on, especially considering, at least to me, there, there's going to be a, plenty of other opportunities too. I mean, look at this year, some of the other head coaching jobs that could come open, there would be a lot of competition too and who they'd hire. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if – Michigan doesn't come back and try to match whatever offer Jim Harbaugh would be made at the NFL level. Okay, all right, so this is kind of the sense I get from you is that and, and, and I think I think this matters because you played for the freaking Browns and like you know that organization very well. To I guess from an outsider perspective, it feels like this job has gotten much more attractive, but you think with the current ownership and just the the lack of direction over the last, I mean, shoot 19 years that it it's still one of the lower tier jobs right uh, of course it, it, it's okay. attractive why because you're going to say they have miles garrett baker and, mayfield and got yeah. them like baker mayfield you know what's funny is there was this one job that came open before the season and this guy took it and they had a guy who was you know defensive player of the year before uh who was a great pass rusher and then oh, another no. quarterback that a lot of people were high on oh, no. and then uh, how are they doing this year are they they're what one a one-win football team oh, okay <laughs> we're talking about the oakland raiders look these these jobs, you know, that are that you're basing purely on personnel, personnel can come and go. Okay, like someone else might come in and look at Miles Garrett 
and maybe they don't think he's you know as, as worth the amount of money that Cleo Mack's going to make, and they want to move on or trade him. I mean, who knows? That that's why you can't base so much of that on it, and you don't know how that ex head coach is going to handle Baker Mayfield, and if he's going to get along with them or if he's going to like him. I'm sure that will be part of the conversation that they have because I think he does look like a guy who can play in this league and be the future, but he does have some things he needs to improve on. He needs to continue to take care, better care of the football. He needs to do a better job playing from within inside the pocket. Um, and that's where Pete Carmichael makes a little bit of sense to me for a couple reasons. For starters, he's dealt with Drew Brees, a quarterback who's smaller in stature and size, who True. Baker Mayfield got a lot of comparisons to. Great point. And, and, you know, Mayfield's also very accurate, much like Drew Brees. So I think he knows how to formulate a game plan to help him uh, be successful and to maybe reach that point of where Drew Brees has got to, which, again, that's saying a lot considering how Drew Brees is a future Hall of Famer. The reasons why you, you'd be a little bit concerned about hiring a guy like Pete Carmichael is it's Sean Payton's offense, and how much of what Pete Carmichael can do is going to be based upon you know, what he's learned from Drew Brees, which is one way of doing things, but Drew Brees and Baker Mayfield aren't the same person. And you know, they're not the same personality. I don't know that they're the same you know, player in some respects. And so, so there's, a, there's a question there, and there's always a question of, you know, was it, you know, is it the, just the talent of Drew Brees and Sean Payton working together and some of the other pieces, or you know, how much of, a, of, of an impact does Pete Carmichael have in all of it? So there's going to be some questions in that regard as far as naysayers to, to that sort of hire. All right, let's get to uh, – I like the Pete Carmichael idea there, but I, mean, I, think, I, think you're, I think you're onto something with this. I mean, they're going to go for an, an offensive guy who can help work with Baker. And I mean, that to me, that would, that would probably right. be the end but, result. But yeah. just FYI, a reason why Lincoln Riley, I think people are like, oh, it's a perfect fit. It makes so much sense. You just bring that offense. Dude, you can't run the same offense. You can yeah. run pieces of it. The RPO game works in college, run pass option, instead of the NFL because un, you know, uh, ineligible linemen are allowed to be three yards downfield. Right. And what that really means is they can be like three and a half yards downfield. So that basically means they can be like blocking a linebacker where everything looks like a run and all of a sudden the quarterback's throwing it behind. At the NFL level, they can be a yard downfield, and it's, it's much better officiated and called w- way more often. So you can't use it quite as much. So it limits some of what you can do and some of the effectiveness of all that. And, you know, again, you have to utilize different scheme because you're going to get a variety of coverages and defenses, and their players can do more. So just to think that that's going to be a shoo-in and it's, it's going to come in and it's going to work, I mean, talk to Steve Spurrier. I mean, it's not like that necessarily worked out right when he came into the NFL and he was just, you know, everything was working out um, oh, the way that it worked out during his time in Florida. No, no, I think that's a great point. All right, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, name the starter over Jameis Winston this coming Sunday. Jameis Winston threw four picks against the uh, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. Ryan Fitzpatrick comes in, leads him on a comeback. Was this the smart move by Dirk Cutter? And, man, I mean, what an impossible situation for him right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, this, this tells me that Dirk Cutter's feeling like he's on the chopping block next um, because he, he's now going with a guy that we know is not the future for Tampa. Right. He's just the right now, and he's, he's a good relief pitcher, not a starter, though. Yeah, I think when I, when I say that, it's no disrespect to Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's, it's, I'm not saying he's not a guy who can start a few games and play really well. He did that earlier this year. He did that last year for them. But he's not a guy who's going to be able to play the rest of the way and then play at a historic rate like he was earlier this year. And I think that's why they went back to Jameis Winston. So, uh, it, it's not good for Dirk Cutter, I think, is what that means, is why he went with that decision, because he feels like he needs to win now, and maybe he feels like Ryan Fitzpatrick gives him the best chance to do so. But also for Jameis Winston's future. You know, clearly this staff and Dirk Cutter, the large reason why he is the head coach is because, you know, he was, he was the OC back when they fired Lovey Smith and then kept Cutter for Winston's development. If he's giving up on him, then you get the sense that maybe the organization is. So, look, the trade deadline's tomorrow. 
I'd be fielding some calls and some offers, seeing what if I could get that sweet price of what I would move on from Jameis Winston for, wow. if I'm going to have to rebuild after this year anyway, because that's probably the direction they're going. Um, or, you know, you wait to the offseason where maybe you can create a market and get a much better offer for him, which is probably way more likely. Either way, I think if you're a Bucks fan, it's just it's disappointing because Jameis Winston needs more uh, reps. He needs more time. I think he's a franchise quarterback. I just think he needs to do a better job of taking care of the football and whether that's Todd Monken calming some things down and not taking as many shots downfield, um, because you know that was the knock on him coming into the league. That's it's still been an issue for him. But you you could see him make some throws and make some plays that not every quarterback can make in the NFL. So I still think he's gonna have a shot to be some in this league. It just might take a new head coach or it might take a new destination for that to be the case. No, and it's fair to note that a lot of quarterbacks in NFL history have needed a change of scenery or have just needed to mature a little bit as passers, get beyond four or five years to learn how to cut down on those turnovers. Like I look at a guy like Matthew Stafford who's had different sections of his career. You know, you're not defined by one, you know, three year stretch of your career. But Jameis Winston, man, he Boy, can he sure can miss a defender when he's throwing a football sometimes. Guy has no conscience. Uh, they're at the Panthers this week. Redskins at home at the Giants. Um, wouldn't be surprised to see Jameis play in, in one of those three games or one of those two games, honestly, because they're, they're still terrible. Uh, this is kind of a sneaky move that I think could be a, a big thing. Um, we talked about a little bit this offseason, but the, um, the Bengals and the Cowboys switch offensive line coaches and the Cowboys fired Paul Alexander today. Uh, after you know he's got these like weird techniques where he tells his guys to like like, like drop and drop like step back first before you run block and and all this other stuff uh do you think that's a rash decision or does it does it like pretend bad things for Jason Garrett um can this help fix the run game immediately how does this work for the Cowboys yeah it's always odd when you see a position coach fired in the course of the season typically it's more of a top down deal not a bottom up um but when you're <laughs> When you're tasked with making changes to your staff, someone's already telling you that you got to do something. You got to make changes. You got to try to change their their results. So, moving on from a position coach, it's a subtle way of trying to to tell people that you're you're, you're making changes, you're doing something different. But ultimately, it, it just basically it basically amounts to this: if you don't start running the football better, protecting your quarterback better, and and, and you know ultimately winning games, it's not going to matter. You know, you know, you're next on the chopping block. So that's that's kind of what it tells me, at least in this case. And this is this is one of those years where, you know, right now we've got already one head coaching vacancy open or one head coaching job open. Uh, I think there could be a, a few others kind of coming before the end of the year. I mean, mm. t- typically we, we don't see that many teams end up firing their coach and have a bunch of interim head coaches running around. But that could very well be the case based on how a number of teams have, have performed and I guess the current hot seats, if you will, of those head coaching spots. Yeah, and interesting to note, you mentioned Lincoln Riley and the Dallas Cowboys. I would anticipate that if there, if there's a bunch of buzz about the Browns and Lincoln Riley, like if Oklahoma loses one and then they're, the chatter starts to pick up, that Jerry Jones might get a little, uh, antsy, antsy in the pantsy, if you know what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> by the way, the, uh, the Cowboys have the Titans out of their bye and then play, this is, <laughs> they're about to make or break their season. Titans at home out of the bye on Monday Night Football. Then the Eagles on Sunday Night Football on the road. Then at the Falcons. Redskins at home. Saints on a Thursday night. And then Eagles at home the week after that. Have fun with that, Jason Garrett. If you lose to the Eagles twice, you're probably out of the playoffs and you're probably getting fired. All right, finally, uh, last thing. Would you, what would your reaction be as a teammate of Ty Montgomery's watching him take that ball out of the end zone and fumble it instead of letting Aaron Rodgers take a, take a minute and a half to try and go tie the game or win the game? 
you, you hate to put any game on one play. Uh, and, and from everything that I'm hearing that it was discussed beforehand, he wasn't supposed to bring it out. And <clears throat> he had thrown a tirade because of the lack of touches. And <clears throat> this might have been a long time building, right, considering he moved from wide receiver to running back to help out the team. And now you've got Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams and other guys doing a better job, guys that they drafted after you had moved, which you probably expected, but you probably thought you'd still get the, the first chance and opportunity. And all of a sudden you're having one of your better games rushing the football and you're not a part of it. So I get the frustration. I even get the fact that he's probably thinking to himself, man, when I get my opportunity, I'm going to show these guys what they're missing. You know, it's almost like that scene in Tommy Boy, one of the opening scenes, when he's talking about showing this world a thing or two, and then he ends up <laughs> passing out on the table yeah. and falling flat on his face. Um, it it kind of reminds me of that. Like, that exact scene just played out in that kickoff return. Like, I'm going to show this world a thing or two. I'm going to. And then next thing you know, the ball's popping out, you're fumbling, and now Aaron Rodgers doesn't have an opportunity to win you a football game. So. Um, it, it'd be frustrating. I think there's probably a lot of guys who are upset and, to be quite frank, pissed off. And it looked like Aaron Rodgers was and the rest of the sideline was. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't move on from him, only because now he really is expendable. I mean, they've got all these young wide receivers who are doing a good job. Uh, they've got a running back group that has, has seemed to take over now, and they're doing fine. So he seems to be the, the odd guy out, and he seems to be the guy that was insubordinate or disobedient. And you know, that's the unfortunate reality of the NFL uh, if, you know, he, he did all he could to help out his team and, and do the right thing, but ultimately it ended up leading to his demise because of one bad decision. Mm, not a great look, and we were hoping to get a, uh, a fantastic finish to that game. And instead, Todd Gurley went down before he scored, costing millions of dollars. Oh, stop, stop. Don't be that guy. No, no, no. He you, did, you and I both know he did the right that thing. was the proper decision. Yeah. To win the football game. 100%. No doubt about it. He did the right thing. The, the, but the, you know how the fantasy geeks are and everyone else out there who is the, worried about their bet in Vegas and all that, which, again, is not something as a player that you ever thought about or focused on. And I can assure you this. He was told in the huddle or told by his quarterback that if you get a first down here, make sure you get down inbounds so the clock keeps running and we can assure that we end this football game with, with the ball in our hands. No, 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 look, look, I'm not. I mean, like, it's fun to joke about that. And he was, he was waltzing into the end zone. I give Todd Gurley credit for being self-aware enough to know that he should get down and whether it was, I mean, we don't see that. That didn't happen all the time. Like, I thought the Packers, I, I was saying with, you know, after they, the, the Packers should have let them score or tried to let them score. Right. And see if they, right. Before, a little arena league football. Yeah. Strategy. Yeah. Or like, like get out of the way. Cause I think a couple of plays earlier, Gurley might have gone all the way in if he'd gotten past the first down. Like he almost, he hesitated a little bit. No, I mean, he did the right thing. I don't worry. You know, you know, that's, you know, what's funny is that is a perfect example of when people try to use the case that, oh, teams tank in the NFL. I'm like, no, they don't. Because if you were to tell a defense, hey, let them score. Like in this instance, it would have been a perfect opportunity to tell the Green Bay defense, let them score, right? Mm -hmm. Because let's say, for example, even if they make the PAT, they would, the Rams would have been up nine. Yeah, and so you know, they, give, they give the ball back. Aaron Rodgers throws a touchdown pass, onside kick, they get it back, kick a field goal to win it. That, that's the only chance they had of winning that football game. Or if they missed a PAT, and then they could have gotten just a touchdown, a two-point conversion. But the point is this. Players won't do it. You could tell a defense that they're like, no, man, we're going to get a stop here. And then that's what we're going to do. Like, they will not right. do that in the NFL. And that's why people are like, oh, yeah, this team's tanking. 
the front office might get rid of some guys, but there's not a coach or player on that field that ever is just going to give up on a football game or try to give up and let another team win. No, that's, I, you're right. I mean, look, if you if you give up and you quit playing and you tank, you're not going to get that next contract or you're not going to hit the incentive bonus you got in there and, or you're going to lose the respect of your teammates because you're all out there trying to win win football games. Um, yeah, spoken like a true former professional football player that I am. All right, this he's Brady Quinn. I'm Will Brinson. This is an emergency pick six podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, we will be back. This is this is the Tuesday show, so I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back on Wednesday to talk to Jason Lockenford and find out more Browns fallout. Brady, always a pleasure, buddy. Oh, it's so much fun, and I hope people appreciate the emergency. It's an emergency. That's why we had to come up with this podcast you, right now. You just did four and a half hours of talking about football. What a what a what a what a what a, what a guy you are. All right, we'll be back Wednesday.